Ancient Rome had an enormous number of customs and traditions. Some of them have been passed down to us in the name of our months or the letters of the Latin alphabet. However, they also had a lot of customs which to us seem very strange. One of the strangest and most powerful to the Romans were the traditions surrounding the Roman city limits, a.k.a. the Pomerium. Learn more about the Roman Pomerium and how seriously the Romans took it on this episode of Everything Everywhere Daily. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. To understand what the Roman Pomerium was and why it was so important, we have to go back to the founding of the city of Rome, or at least the legends of its founding. The legend holds that the city was founded by its namesake, Romulus, and the center of the city was on the Palatine Hill. The Palatine Hill, for those of you who have been there or who are familiar with the city, is the hill that overlooks the Forum and the Colosseum. When he founded the city, he took a plow and with it created the boundaries of the city. The line that he plowed, which defined the city limits, became the Pomerium. The date that he plowed this trench, April 21st, is still celebrated today as the founding of Rome. The word Pomerium is a contraction of the Latin words post and moerium, which simply means beyond the walls. Supposedly, this was an ancient Etruscan tradition, and it would have been something that many cities and towns on the Italian peninsula would have done. The Pomerium, however, wasn't really the city limits of Rome. It only served as the legal and religious boundary for the city. Ancient Rome was an enormous city. You often hear of people talking about the seven hills of Rome. In average everyday use, this sprawling metropolis was Rome, or at least about the areas inside the city walls. However, the Pomerium was much smaller. It did not encompass all seven hills, as the Aventine Hill, for example, was outside of the Pomerium. The closest modern example I can think of would be the City of London. The City of London is a separate thing from London. The City of London is a small formal area in the central part of Greater London with a population of fewer than 10,000 people, and it was the original core of the city. It's really confusing because the City of London can only really be distinguished from the City of London based on context, and as I say that, I'm realizing that I'm going to have to do an episode on that in the future. So the Pomerium served as a legal and religious boundary rather than a practical boundary of an urban area. And it isn't like there were suburbs or any sort of other cities outside of Rome. So why was this line special? When Romulus took his plow to create the Pomerium, he didn't create a continuous trench. At several points, he picked up the plow only to start the trench again a few meters later. These points became the gates of the city. Because the Pomerium was the legal boundary of the city, there was a rule that one could not cross the Pomerium. For most of the Pomerium, there wasn't even a wall. There were just stones that delineated where it was located. But you had to pass through the gates. And if you didn't, the penalty was death. Crossing the Pomerium was considered a symbolic invasion of the city. And this was taken very, very seriously by everyone, as I will get to in a moment. There were a host of rules for what could and what couldn't be done inside the Pomerium. 
For starters, no one was allowed to be buried inside the pomerium. This is why the Vatican was originally outside the city limits of Rome. It was a cemetery. The tombs of Augustus and Hadrian, which you can still visit today, were also outside of the pomerium, as are many catacombs and monuments erected along the Appian Way. Another rule about the pomerium is that there could be no soldiers or weapons inside the pomerium. This didn't include things like knives, which had practical uses in the homes and in commerce, but it did include things like swords and spears. The assassination of Julius Caesar actually took place outside of the pomerium, so the senators who killed him couldn't be charged with sacrilege for having weapons. Likewise, generals couldn't enter the pomerium lest they lose their position. In the event that a special session of the Senate was needed where they needed the attendance of generals, tents would be erected outside of the city on the field of Mars. This restriction on the military inside of the city extended to the magistrates themselves. Certain elected positions, such as consul, proconsul, aediles, and quaestors, were allowed to have personal bodyguards called lictors. Each lictor would carry a long bundle of wooden rods known as a fasces, which were a symbol of their authority. How many lictors you had depended on your position. And by the way, the word fasces was the basis of the word fascist. And there are many examples of fasces in architecture in many government buildings in many countries, including the United States House of Representatives. Inside the pomerium, the lictors just had a bundle of wood. Outside of the pomerium, the lictors would carry fasces with an axe head attached, signifying that they had certain military authority. Likewise, inside the pomerium, there were restrictions on what various magistrates could and couldn't do that they didn't necessarily have outside the pomerium. A consul could command an army when outside the pomerium, but had no such authority inside the pomerium. In fact, once a general of any type crossed the pomerium, they would lose their position. There was one exception to the rule of weapons and soldiers being allowed inside the pomerium, and that was during a Roman triumph. If a Roman general was awarded a triumph, he and his men were not allowed inside the pomerium until the start of the triumph. The general and his soldiers would then enter the gates of the pomerium and would be allowed to proceed through the city in a procession. However, even this still had its limits. There was one famous story about the triumph given to the general Pompeius Magnus. He had several elephants which were to be part of his triumph, but he couldn't get them through the gate to enter the city. On either side of the Pomerian gate was nothing. The elephants could have easily just walked around the gate, but the prohibition of crossing the Pomerium was so strong that no one even considered the idea of going around the gate. The gates were also a major problem when it came to annual elections. The elections would be held every year on the plains of Mars outside of the Pomerium. Everyone in the city who wanted to vote had to go outside of the Pomerium, and they had to do it through the gates. This would make a walk, which would otherwise have been reasonably short, take hours, as there were massive crowds of people all trying to get through the gates, both leaving and entering the Pomerium. Wealthy Romans could get around this by just staying in their villas outside of the city, but everyone else had to either put up with the long wait times or not bother to vote. Perhaps the biggest rule regarding the Pomerium applied to proconsuls and regional governors. The moment they crossed the Pomerium, they lost their position. If they lost their position, they lost their imperium and their legal immunity. This was coupled with the fact that if you wanted to run for office, you had to be physically present inside the Pomerium to declare your candidacy. This fact was pretty much the entire reason behind the Roman civil war with Julius Caesar. He had legal immunity as proconsul of Gaul so long as he was outside of the Pomerium. However, his position was expiring, and he wanted to run for consul again so he could continue to have legal immunity. 
However, to be made consul, he had to cross Pomerium and lose his immunity, which made him subject to legal action. The Senate wouldn't budge and make an exception, so the end result was a civil war. Despite the importance which was given to the Pomerium, the boundary was actually expanded several times in history. The first expansion occurred during the rule of the dictator Sulla in the year 80 BC. It probably took someone of dictatorial powers to redraw the Pomerium because the tradition behind it was so strong. It had been around for over 700 years, and it would have been difficult to get the Senate to do it. Likewise, Augustus expanded the Pomerium three times, in 27, 18, and 8 BC. The Emperor Claudius expanded and finally included the Aventine Hill in the year 49. He created a series of white martyr stones known as a Kippius, which delineated the location of the Pomerium. These stone kippi, which were set up under Claudius, are still being found today. The most recent discovery of a Claudian Kippius was made in 2021, and it was the tenth such stone that was discovered. The closest thing we have today to a Pomerium might be national borders, some of which are very closely watched. If you should cross a national border, you are under a completely different set of rules. And, just like in Rome, there can be major consequences to crossing such a line. The traditions surrounding the Roman Pomerium might seem very odd to us, but they did serve a purpose at the time. For the Romans, it was a very clear dividing line for where powers and responsibilities began and ended. Everything Everywhere Daily is an Airwave Media podcast. The associate producers are Thor Thompson and Peter Bennett. Today's review comes from listener Raul Rostin from Apple Podcasts in the United States. He writes, in Italian, Cento dieci e lode. Mi piace questo podcast Pio del Caccio. Which, roughly translated, means 110 and praise. I like this podcast more than football. Wow, thanks Raul. In the words of the great fake version of Nicolas Cage, that's high praise. Remember, if you leave a review or send me a boostagram, you too can have it read right on the show.